Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Kendra Hall. She is a best-selling author and chief storytelling officer of Success Magazine. She teaches leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs across countless industries to harness and leverage the power of their stories. Her earlier book, Stories That Stick, debuted at number two on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and Forbes said it may be the most valuable business book you read. Her new book, Choose Your Life, Change Your Story, has a new twist on that and releases on January 11th. So, Kendra, thank you so much for joining us. Brian, I am so happy to be here. It's great to hear your voice. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's nice seeing you too. And we've worked with you a long time and I'm finally getting to interview you. I know you've been on the podcast before with someone else um, here at Premiere. And so I'm excited that I finally get my turn here. Um, and I love, personally, I love storytelling. Like that's the whole idea. Whenever I talk to people there, you're coming on this podcast, please tell great stories. That's what I'm looking for here. What got you interested in stories in the first place? You know, I... I was one of those people, Brian, who found, and you know, in the speaking world, people will be like, oh, that topic or, oh, that lane. Um, but before there were topics or lanes, or I even know, knew what speaking was, I found storytelling or I like the way I think about it is uh, stories found me. I told my first story when I was 11. It was an assignment for fifth grade, we were supposed to take a children's, it was, it was actually kind of like the first foray into public speaking, which I love as a skill. We were, they were teaching it so young. Um, we were supposed to choose a children's book and then go read it to a third or fourth grade classroom. That was the assignment. So I chose my book and I remember reading it and going home and thinking to myself that it might be a lot more interesting if I didn't read it, if I just kind of told it uh, and, and brought it to life. And so I added characters to it and I added, you know, there was like action and, um, and I remember, well, I didn't remember, this is a story my mother told me of what she remembered was that I came home and said, mom, we have to tell this story for English class. Um, can I practice for you? And she sat down on our living room floor on the floor with her back, like against the couch. And I stood up in front of the room, um, in the living room and told this story. And she said, it was one of those moments. I don't know. I, I mean, I know you have, I know you have kids. I had one of those moments not long ago, um, just with my son, we were out at dinner and he started talking about Mayan mathematics in this like crazy, I, it, we actually have a photo of me listening to him talk about it. And being like, I don't even understand what is happening here. And um, my mother had that similar experience sitting on the living room floor. When I started telling this story, she said, I didn't, I, I wasn't even sure what I was seeing, but I was seeing something. Um, and so I told that story and then, you know, I had a series of mentors all throughout my life who kind of guided me on this path without even really realizing that's what they were doing. It was kind of like the, this idea of storytelling 
brought on a life of its own in that it was like, oh, we need this teacher to encourage you to do it here. And we need this person from your church to encourage you to tell a story here. And I remember, um, I'm just going to give you the, the long oh, yeah. story. Um, I remember being in high school and I was on the speech team, which we had this big debate in my family because my husband was a big like division what he played water polo at UCLA, which that is about like he has multiple friends who are Olympic medalists like he was he was the <laughs> creme de la creme when it came to, you know, like pursuing sports and then here I was, you know, the girl on the speech team and when we talk about what our kids are going to do you know are they what are we going to encourage that how are we going to foster their interest I was like I just want to point out you are not a professional water polo player I on the other hand like speak for a living so that's always a fun little debate that we have in our house but I was on the speech team and there were categories in on the speech team so you could do dramatic interpretation in my category who happened to be storytelling, which is just wild. And so I was competitively telling stories and was really good at it. Like it, it was, it was again, what I was meant to do. And a coach from another team, Brian, actually, I'll never forget. It was printed on that, like salmon colored <laughs> that kind of like orange, but it was Sam. I don't even know if they make that color anymore, but it was salmon colored. She, a coach from another team, her name was Kathleen Westgard. Um, she handed my coach this flyer that said like National Youth Storytelling Olympics and said, I think Kendra needs to apply for this. Like, I think she needs to enter this competition. Um, and it happened at East Tennessee State University. And you were supposed to submit a VHS tape. Um, and, and I remember at the time, I think I was uh, like a junior in high school and I was very interested in being a high school kid. Like I did it. I was, I, yes, I was doing speech and theater and all of that. I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to go to prom. Like that was really where my interests were, if I'm totally honest, much to the dismay of my parents. And my parents kept encouraging. They're like, you need to work on your scholarship essays. You need to be, I mean, I come from a very modest background. If I wanted to go to college, it needed to be scholarships. And they were just on me all the time. And everybody, you know, just as a high school kid. And so one day they were so annoying about it that I decided to rebel. This is how I rebelled. I hope this is how my kids rebel. Instead of submitting a scholarship essay, I was going to enter this storytelling competition. <laughs> I, I was going to show them, uh, which they were really excited that I entered this storytelling competition, but I ended up finding where to mail the tape. I mailed the tape. And then things started to, it was like another door opened up. Um, and I, I think that's kind of, and I think if any of us were to look back on the stories of our lives, it's a series of doors op opening up. And I ended up going to that competition, winning that competition and the grand prize 
was not a college scholarship. So we'll just say that. (laughs) But it was that you got to tell at the National Storytelling Festival, which happens in Jonesboro, Tennessee every year, which is um, right next to Johnson City, Kingsport. You fly into the Tri-State or the Tri-City Airport. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Bristol is the other city in that little triangle. Anyway, Jonesboro, Tennessee, this tiny town, I don't even, it probably still doesn't have a stoplight, but every first weekend in October, it floods with 15,000 people. And it can be, it can be snowing or it can be scalding hot. Um, But they put up these huge circus tents and bring in storytellers. And it's really important to know that these storytellers are they're just there to tell stories. They're not there with an agenda. They're not trying to sell anything. Um, and so I got to tell at this festival, which A, gave me an incredible opportunity because I was so young to be taken under the wing of these amazing storytellers. Um, but number two, I remember sitting on under this circus tent and I was there with my mom um, and all these people from all different backgrounds listening to these storytellers. And I could see it was, it was definitely an experiment for me to see all these people so different from me, so different from each other, all connecting to this one teller. And it didn't matter where they were from or what stories they, I mean, there were folk tales, there were personal stories. Some of them were big stories. Some of them were just these very small moments from life that these tellers were able to recognize the power of that moment and, and the bigger message or just the bigness of any given moment of our life, which so often we all overlook. And A, the unification of these stories and the power that had. But B, for me, it was a lot like, um, I mean, I only saw The Matrix once in <laughs> high school. And I will admit, it was I was on a double date and it made no sense to me. And my husband, <laughs> I have no idea what it was about. And we, my husband just made me watch the new Matrix. And he was like talking. And I'm like, you understand this I'm pretty sure that this movie makes very little sense to someone who knows what the matrix is about. It makes even, I they might as well. <laughs> I, I like need you to be my subtitles for the matrix. But I do remember from the first version where they would see things like happen in front of them, like on a, like almost like a screen, like they could just mm-hmm. see the world differently. And that's what sitting at that storytelling festival was like for me. I was seeing the arcs of the stories and the components and the things that were working and and the way that they were moving the audience. And so really from that moment on, it became very clear to me that storytelling was going to be a part of my future. I didn't know how, but I then I went to college and my research projects were on storytelling in organizations. I went on to graduate school where my thesis was on the role of storytelling in organizational socialization, how company cultures are built or broken based on the stories that are told. Then I went into sales and marketing where it was all about the stories that were being told, nonprofit organizations. I once 
you told me I could tell long stories. Hey, go for it. Go for Uh, it. (laughs) I once, um, I was working, I was volunteering on a big committee um, and I was in charge of this silent auction and event. Um, And it was a small event. It was like 75 people. It was meant, it was designed to be that way. And there was a silent auction and silent auctions are just the worst. They're just so, you know, you just, um, and I was sitting there and we're getting all these random things in like somebody donated a mattress was some somebody donated a dog bed somebody donated like plastic surgery like 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 a facelift or something like all these random and how do you like a really great watch and so I you know and I wanted the numbers to come back great so I said I remember sitting down and writing a story for each one of the items and like packaging them together like the mattress one I told the story about, you know, like if you end up having to sleep in the dog house because it was a men's event is what it was. So it was nice because I knew who my audience was. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if you end up having to sleep in the dog house, um, at least you'll have a comfortable mattress and <laughs> your best friend can sleep out there with you because I put the dog bed and the mattress together. But we, so what happened at this event was each one then of the items had a story. And what happened was people were, were like crowding the silent auction table, reading every single one. And that event, it was several, several years ago now, but I actually just ran into a woman, um, two falls, was two falls ago. I I want to say last year because I kind of blend the last couple of years yeah, together. Yeah. But you know, um, who said that was still the number one uh, fundraising silent auction the organization has ever hosted, <laughs> and it really was. I mean, I knew what I was doing. I I've done the research. I know the power a story can have. Um, but then ultimately, I got this sense that um, you know you can you can feed a man a fish and he'll eat for a day or you can teach someone to fish and they'll eat for a lifetime. And I had this distinct sense that maybe what I needed to do was not just write stories for people, but actually teach them how to do it. And so that has been the, the, the main goal of my professional career since that time, which is to teach people the power of their stories, whether those stories are in business and they're the stories you tell outwardly for sales or marketing, which is what stories that stick my first book and Mm -hmm. and that keynote is all about. Um, And now, you know, and, and I'm sure we can talk about this, but yeah, well, I know. Yeah. With your new book, you know, choose your life, change your story, because that's, you're saying it's this, this shift, yeah. uh, off air. Um, and it'd be great if you explain that now, how the other, the first book was more about outward stories, inward and outward stories are both extremely important. Um, what, you know, what would you say is the difference between that first book and this book and how yeah. can people apply it? So this book is, Yep. It's choose your story, change your life, um, silence your inner critic and rewrite your life from the inside out. And, you know, what's what's interesting is this wasn't the book I was planning to write. Actually, it wasn't even the book I think I pitched to the publisher at first as the second book. Um, I was planning to write a continuation of 
like the outward stories we tell stories that stick like a leader's guide mm -hmm. um, and to go more in depth on the hows and the what's and the whatnots of storytelling in organizations as you are and as you're raising leaders. Um, but a strange thing happened. And, you know, this is one of the great benefits of being able to share your message. And when it's in person, um, of course, I love doing it virtually as well, but in, in person to be able to witness real time of what the audience is resonating with and in different ways, right? And, and from a practical sense, you can, you can adjust or change course. Um, but from a creative creation sense, um, what I discovered from, you know, the many events that I did is yes, it was really important that people walked away with knowing how to tell their stories and break that down, make it very clear, really valuable mm -hmm. um, as a business strategy. But there was a piece of the keynote that I added really just right at the end out of my own desire. Um, and this happened several years ago where I said, you know, okay, so now you know, you, you have a great start on how to find stories for business, compelling ways to put them together, where to be telling them. Um, but I would argue that the most important story of all are the stories we're telling ourselves. And, and these stories shape our understanding of who we are, where we fit in the world. And these stories, whether we know it or not, are dictating our behaviors, our actions, our decisions. And, and whether, you know, that's in a very obvious way and, and it's, leads to, you know, progression in your career or whatever, maybe it's a more um, subtle life-based way with symphony, like simply siphoning off the joy and satisfaction that we feel. Um, and, and I would share a story that was about one of my own limiting beliefs uh, that had to do with work-life balance and my belief about being a, this limiting belief that I had about what it meant to be um, a successful parent and what it meant to be a successful business person. And this belief based on old stories of mine was in conflict with what would allow me to really be great at both. And so I would share a story um, that I would tell myself anytime I could feel myself um, in this place of conflict, surrendering any power or joy that I had to this limiting belief. It was a story about me and my daughter. <laughs> and interestingly, no matter, and it didn't matter because, you know, we speak across all industries. Um, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was a primarily male audience or a primarily female audience. It didn't matter if they were old or young. It didn't matter if it was entrepreneurs or corporate intrapreneurs. The comment that I would hear afterwards, the emails that I would get, the messages, the, the, the people who stop you out in the lobby afterwards. And I mean, I almost missed a flight a couple of times, right? <laughs> was about this idea of the stories they were telling themselves. And it was that response that I finally decided. And even though it almost felt like a deviation in a way, of course, I'm all about storytelling. That is my passion. It's 
as we said, it's, I really didn't have a choice starting at 11. Like this is the way it was going to go for me. Um, but that it's one thing to talk about the skill and strategy of it, but especially right now, especially after what we've experienced the past several years, this is speaking to the psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't, if we want engaged, useful, inspired, effective, extraordinary team members, or if we want to be those people in our work, it is really important that we take control of the narratives that are running in our own minds and, mm-hmm. and giving people a path and a, a method for doing that, um, which is what choose your story, change your life is all about. Um, and how are, and I, that is one of the things I'm curious about. Like if someone were to say, okay, this afternoon, I want to take like one or two steps, like whether it's identifying negative stories and changing them or, or focusing on positive stories. So what's like one or two steps somebody could take this afternoon after listening to this, that they could, they could sort of change, choose your, choose your story. Yeah. So it's the, and you said that you said it right there. I mean, the book is based in the, in neuroscience of how our brain, I mean, we are natural storytellers. So whether that's a skill that you're working on outwardly, you don't have to work on it inwardly. Like we already do this. This is, this is programmed into us. Again, this is how we understand the world and how we understand our place in it. As a result, these stories are automated. They're invisible. We don't even realize they're there, um, which is, which is nice because it's one last thing that we have to think about unless they are holding us back. And one thing that we also know is that as humans, we have a negativity bias. Again, it's built into us and it is designed to keep us safe. So so those two things right off the bat, knowing that our self-stories are automatic, that you're doing it without even trying with a zero effort, these stories are happening, whether you like it or not. And B, knowing that they have a often have a negative bias that try to keep us safe and in place. Um, the first step to take is to stop the automation. So something that I would recommend, you know, if you're listening to this in your car right now, um, when you come to a stoplight or, you know, as you pull up to the office or if you pull up at home, you turn the car off, that this podcast turns off, I want you to stop for a second and ask yourself, what story am I telling myself right now? Mm-hmm. Is it, I don't have enough time. How am I ever going to get all of this done? Is it, I really messed that interview up today. Who do I think I am? Is it, oh, I need to, you know what? I have an important message that I need to, I have an important, like, for example, I just caught myself doing this today. I have an important email to send to an important person. I've needed to send this email for months Uh, I mean, months, right? And this person doesn't know, well, this this person invited me to send them this email. Mm -hmm. But I, so I have this, well, I just need to make sure that it's, I have to, I really want to make sure that I know exactly what I, I have this story in my head that is telling me the email has to be perfect. And so I keep putting it off because it's not perfect yet. And so it's this, I'm stuck in this loop when, and that's one of the stories that I'm telling myself. It's, I mean, the top line of it is it has to be perfect in order to put it out when really 
And that, that, I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure there are plenty of perfectionists listening <laughs> right now, whether it's an email that you have to send a pitch or whatever it is. So that belief is built on all these different stories where I was rewarded for perfection. And I think that's the only thing. And if I don't, you know, I, so to stop that automation and to realize that basically your brain's playing tricks on you. Um, and and to be able to then move forward. So that would be the first thing is to find opportunities in your day to stop and say, all right, what, what is playing in the background of my mind that, that I haven't, that I'm paying no attention to, and yet is dictating my life. One thing I think is interesting too, that this isn't something you just do as an adult, you know, this can start even younger. Like I, like, it makes me curious like I come from, like my family too is big into storytelling. Like at Christmas time, like all the aunts and uncles sit around and the kids, you had to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm curious to know, do you build these things into for your kids as well? Like the outward and the inward storytelling? Yeah, there is. I mean, again, I've learned my lesson not to assume I know what the next book is that I'm going to write. <laughs> but uh, this whole concept and there's a. So the end of the book actually has, there's five chapters in there about the different areas of life where these stories play out. So business and career, money and finances, a lot of money stories, um, health, well-being, love and relationships and family and parenting. And I think one of the greatest things we can do as parents is to help our children see their stories for what they are. For, for example, I mean, here we are, we're two years into the this pandemic um, and you often hear the phrase, well, kids are so resilient. Kids are so resilient. And I don't know about yours, but my kids have been extremely resilient. I mean, we are, they go to a public school in New York city, like this is, they are, <laughs> it's required resilience on all of our parts, but just to saying it to a kid, you're so resilient, doesn't do anything mm-hmm. for them. Um, so to take some time and think about the specific moments that required resilience from them, like their ability to on a dime be told that, you're not going to school today at school. You're doing school at home for the next two weeks to, to be able to navigate um, all the different. I mean, one night my son tried to tell me what the rules were at his school for how he was allowed to interact with his friends. And in the class, I mean, I, I couldn't believe the, mm-hmm the amount of brain power it had to take to just know what he was allowed to do and not to do. And so I got as many details from him as I could. And I mentally recorded them because the day will come where he has, he's, uh, he's at a new job or he's in a new environment. And there are so many rules and so many different things that he's trying to navigate. And I can tell him the story of third, fourth, and fifth grade <laughs> and and how he was he is more than capable of handling it. But not just to say, oh, you're capable. Oh, you're so resilient to give him the stories because eventually over time, he'll forget those stories. And it's important to know that our stories don't sound like stories to us. That's just what life was, you know, and to draw out that no, and that was, all the way back to the beginning. And whether we're talking about the stories you're telling yourself, which 
I, I would say the second thing that I would recommend if you ask for two things, number one, to stop the automation. But the second thing is to start seeing your life in stories, mm -hmm. like even, even really small stories, uh, moments, interactions can be used for you. Can, you can use them later on to move you towards a goal or, or um, in a positive direction. And, and that was something that I saw all the way back at the National Storytelling Festival. I mentioned that they're, they're telling these small stories from their life and they just mean so much. Well, I love that. And one last question, just so I'm curious, when you were talking about the storytelling conference in Jonesboro, you were, you were calling everyone tellers. And of course, in our industry, we're speakers. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between a teller and a speaker? And which do you see yourself as the most? Oh, that is a great question. Um, the difference between a teller and a speaker, I think the, uh, the tellers were there strictly for the story and the morals of the story. So there were no, I mean, there were no slides, there were no bullet points. Again, there were, there was no agenda. There was no, what I'd like for you to take away from our time together here is A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. um, and actually the morals of the story were often never even, and that is this again, there's so many things that I want to explore <laughs> further, but they weren't, they weren't explicitly stated. They, they suspended that um, they weren't assigning morals. They would allow each person to take from it the moral that they need, or, or even more so it was just implicit in there. Um, I find with speakers, you know, you, you're, you're there to, deliver a message. There is, um, there's like a tangible thing you want people to take away. I know for me, of course, there in my, when I speak, um, there are naturally a lot of stories, but there's also a lot of applicable, like talking about the science, talking about, okay, so here's what you do next, because that's the nature, like here, here, here are the four steps. Here is what you need to take away because I want these people in business settings, you know, it's usually who's, who's hiring me to take it and do something with it. And even, even the speakers who they're, um, the majority of their time on stage is a story. You know, there are still bullet points, mm -hmm. even in the, um, even in the program, right? Like learn how to, or whatever it is. I would say I'm in, as far as part two of that question, um, naturally, again, I will always be a storyteller. I, I find that um, the speaking, I would say right now, I consider myself a speaker um, who tells, who uses stories because my goal now is for people again to teach a teach a man, a woman, a child to story instead of just tell them a story. So I would say, uh, currently, I consider myself a speaker uh, who uses stories and storytelling. However, I am open to someday 
<laughs> just telling. <laughs> That's great. Well, Kendra, thank you so much for joining us um, and for sharing this. And for those uh, listening and uh, and watching, uh, her new book comes out, Choose Your Life, Change Your Story, comes out on January 11th, which I believe is as the date that this interview is releasing. And, uh, and again, you can check her out at premierspeakers.com. And on behalf of national speakers and premier speakers, thank you so much for joining us here on the Beyond Speaking podcast. Oh, loved being here. Thank you so much for having me back, Ray. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.